hello, I'm Michael. I'm an entrepreneur, wannabe investor, getting better at improv artist, always very, very neurotic. I'm also a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production where they offer free mentorship help around the world, every language. Literally, they have mentors everywhere. Uh, anything from resume writing to mental health, they're there to help. It's completely confidential and it is completely free. So please visit dweebsglobal.org. So today I have the pleasure of interviewing Lisa David Olson. Lisa has many scenes that run the spectrum um, and I can relate to them because I, I love doing some of the stuff that she does. Uh, and I hope to achieve what she's achieved because you're definitely way ahead of, ahead of me with what you're doing and, and your talent probably far exceeds mine as well. She's a voice talent, a writer, producer, and author. She's an award-winning improv troupe. She's a writer, a comedic entertainer, and a speaker on TEDx. She's an interactive speaker who connects humans through laughter. And I simply love that. I think that's the best way to connect humans. So yeah, we're, and I don't know where you find the time to do it all, but you seem to. So Welcome. Hello, Michael. It's not about uh, finding the time. It's about making the time. There you go. It's a choice. Doggone right. You don't have, you can't say you don't have time for something. You're just making a choice not to make the time for it. Uh, One of the things that someone might say to me when they're inviting me to anything is, I know you're busy, but I hate that sentence. (laughs) What do you mean? You know, I'm busy. Then come help me. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're busy, but well, no, invite me and I will make time. If, if you're saying there's going to be coffee there or chocolate or something (laughs) priority. So you're good with bribes is what you're saying. You're Uh, you're good with (laughs) pretty open with that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You put that right off the bat. It's uh, (laughs) sorry. I couldn't get you coffee or anything today, but you showed up anyway. That's okay. I'd heard that you didn't provide. So I brought my own. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that's getting around because I hate when people expect (laughs) (laughs) so were you always into comedy was this something you did at an early age I started with um, a traumatic childhood that's one of the talks that I actually will share and my husband tagged it traumedy so taking trauma and creating comedy okay and as kids with an alcoholic mother we actually found that if mother was laughing she wasn't beating us. We did get hit a lot. And I speak openly about that. And that's in my book as well. But it's the matter of escapism. You know, look at how many stand up comics have that bleak, that dark, that, you know, you get to be whoever you want. When you step on a stage, you're an improv dude, you're an actor. I don't have to be me. I don't have to worry about my laundry because I'm Sheila, the pet therapist or something like that. So you, you can escape through comedy, but through that, through the years, I found the connectivity of it and the joy in it. And I still have my reset days. Absolutely. Which is hard when you run to go get bread and then somebody comes up, say that funny thing. I'm sure you get that sort of thing too. And there's just like some days it's okay to wear the mask and the hat. Right. right. Which is easier nowadays, which is good. I know. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, so did, did the other, did your other siblings cope with it the same way? Excellent question. Um, we have three, I have three siblings and two of them were morbidly obese and had the bypass surgery. I went the other way. I, I went, you know, eating disorder. I dabbled in that <laughs> not to make light. Seriously. I got help. And that was really, it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, they definitely took different ways. My sister got married right away. I left home at 17 and my brother moved to California from Wisconsin. And then my other brother 
never has been able to hold a job actually. Um, so he's, you know, he's definitely mentally ill and, and that kind of thing. So it's, we definitely went all different ways. We're not all in touch anymore. You really have to choose who you let in. You really have to choose who you allow in your circle. And, and I don't think family is genetic. I think family is somebody you, you trust and, and would have your back. Who would you call if you got into an accident and you needed a ride and it was 2 a.m.? Who would you picture that person? Who would you call? And I can think of a few friends right now. My siblings did not pop up. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I had, uh, just to relate, my brother was an alcoholic and passed away from alcoholism and, mm. and all of that. So I, I, I have experience within family like that. And when you can't trust your own family sometimes, and yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Or when the phone rang when he was at his worst and you didn't want to answer it. And maybe you had your own family stuff going on and it, it's really not okay to think that you have to fix it because you're related. That whole sentence of, but we have to let uncle Frank over for Thanksgiving because that's our uncle. I don't do that. Right. And I know I sound cold about it, but that's, I'm 55. That's where I've come to. And so there are certain people I would allow in that maybe I don't even know as well, but have been there for me, or I know that they're not going to bring a bag full of drama. Right. Yeah. You don't need it. You had that from such an early age. I, I can't imagine uh, being a child and having to figure that out. Right. It's, it's, it was a different time. You know, you didn't have your hand computer that you could just do things. And the other part of it being a different time was that growing up in late sixties and early seventies was you did not tell on your neighbor. You did not do welfare checks because you heard screaming, yelling, and crying. You stayed in your yard. You stayed in your square. And even when my book came out, I was so excited to share it with my dad because it had a lot of the real stories, but a lot of my passions for pranks and some of the scenes we've played and, and just growing up, my boys grew up funny and these things, but it is a weave of the emotions. And my dad was like, he's in his eighties. Why do you, why is that? Why are you doing that? That's in the past. I go, no dad, that's, that's who I am. That's where, that's how I, this is, this is how this happened, you know, and, and he's of that age of going, nah, that happened back then. Leave it. And I don't, you can't put it on a shelf because that shelf gets really cluttered. Yeah. These are the pieces that make you. So <laughs> yes, this, it this, is. This is who you are. If you ignore that and ignore all of it, then where do you get personality, your whole Ugh, being, everything just kind of goes. Not healthy. No. no. Did you ever have a relationship with your mother after you moved out? I did. Um, it was very up and down. It just continued to be. She's one of the first people that told me I could sing and, and encouraged me to perform and things like that. I wasn't just funny as a kid. I, I went on to perform and I won a singing contest that led to um, trying out for an improv troupe and thinking there's no way in heck I'm going to be able to do improv. I don't do that. And then learning that not only yes, I can, mm -hmm that I ended up running the troop for 20 years. So oh, wow. it, it's all a matter of just trying the things that make you sweat in the weird places, try <laughs> the things that make your heart beat a little faster. Mm -hmm. And if you fail, so what, at least you tried. And when you're the person on the stage, don't worry about the others because you're the brave one trying it. Right. So getting back to mom though, is, is the fact that I, it was back and forth. And so the, my boundary wall definitely had, um, I guess it'd be like, um, barricades in the street that have adjustable sides. And it was like some days here, some days up to the top. And towards the end, um, when she did, um, I did save her once 
during her alcoholism and had an ambulance come. And that was her last day that she drank when she was hauled away to by ambulance. And we had a better relationship after that. She openly would talk about her regrets and openly talk about what she could have done better. And I do know there's a whole lot in her past, but I only got glimpses of it. And I, I never cared to dig because it's it, what help would that be? I would just be judging others and you know, you can only go forward as much as I say, yes, your past comes with you. Mm-hmm. I didn't dabble in that because I just wanted to have that relationship. I knew it was limited and she did pass um, just from a, a weak heart. I'm sure from years of smoking and drinking. Right, right. I'm sorry about that. Do you, do you think it helped you to have those those times with her? With yes, her yes. And- you're, yeah, to be able to say, um, to, to learn that she did regret that. But it was just as much as learning that uh, a one-on-one time with my father where I, he wasn't as active as a father. He was there through all these, these things, but he was down in his den now called a man cave <laughs> and these things would happen and he would just kind of stay out of the way. And that I never understood. And so I did ask, cause I thought, you never know if you get another chance to ask. And he regretted that. But again, he is of that that's happening over there. And, and you and I would never be that way with our family. If we heard screaming going on in the next room or the belt came out, you'd be like over there. Right. So I, I can't, I'm not excusing it. And I'm not saying anything except to say that that's what happened. And as a kid, you don't know any better, but I had that conversation with him and he was able to say, if I could have had more kids, I would have. And that just shocked me. I immediately started crying. Cause I always thought us four kids was a burden to him. Right. So when he said that to me, I was in my thirties. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> Wish I had known that growing up because I, I always thought I was a burden or in the way. Right. You know, I, it's such a generational thing, though. You know, yep. our, our parents, our fathers weren't as involved with the kids. That wasn't their job. That wasn't their duty. That wasn't what was expected of them. Um, so yours, too. Yeah. I mean, I, my father just worked a lot. So, you know, I had, a, I had a very, very nice childhood, but my father worked a lot. You know, it wasn't in his DNA or it wasn't expected of him. He wasn't raised in a way that he was going to be the one spending time with the kids. So. Um, yes, very different. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, like all the fathers, like all me and my friends were like super involved with our kids. Right. Every sporting event, uh, you know, I'm going to go hit ping pong balls after this with them for an hour. And yeah. I love that. So, very different. It's, uh, yes. yeah, just changing the times. I, I kind of wonder what changed our generation to be more like that because we were still raised by people that weren't. So I'm, I'm wondering. I don't yeah, know. it's a really good point. And I think it's because we always want better for our kids. So I, I left school in 10th grade. I left home at 17, just turned 17, all those things. So of course, what I wanted for my kids was never to feel that they couldn't sleep through the night safely and to never feel that they aren't smart. And um, I did continue and get my GED and different things, but I always wanted better. So in answering your question, I think that's, that's in us to want better. And so they did do well in school. They did graduate. They did go on to do good things and, and they're just really good guys. So even in helping raise, uh, I have five shared sons. So two that came out of me and three that I got to help raise. And, and uh, they're all just great guys that I sometimes wish I had raised them with my current husband. Cause I'm on number three. And if I don't wear them out, He's the final. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You wore out just, the other ones? You're, it was your fault? You're, you're taking blame for the other ones? I wear them out. out. <laughs> I wear people out. I work with police during the day. They will attest to the fact that I'm exhausting. 
(laughs) So I'm around men all the time, whether it's the police department, whether it's home, my five sons, I'd rather be around guys and there's less of the kitty cat claws. (laughs) Gotcha. What do you do? I might as well ask you, what do you do with the police during the day? What is that? Local dispatch records, administrative stuff, support. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, working with animal have... traps this morning, trying to catch some uh, animals too. We do it all. <laughs> that allows you to have your fun. <laughs> it does. It does. And I, I've always worked full time besides my speaking. I just always have. And and yeah. people are like, well, why don't you just make your speaking and your performing as your full time? And I was like, yeah, thanks for telling me what to do. But <laughs> then hit COVID and we couldn't do our shows and things like that. So it's like, Dang good thing I held on to the job that has the insurance and the solid work. I mean, the police department didn't close. <laughs> right, right. Well, besides it being, it's really hard to make money doing improv and, and and performing like that. But then there's also something, at least with with me. You know, I just started doing it all over the past like five years. Like my life has totally changed once I decided to start doing things I love to do. But part of it is I love to do it because I don't have to worry about making money doing it. <laughs> like I have my other job, so I can. I could pick and choose what I'm doing on the side for the fun, for, you know, for the enjoyment of it. I love the way you said that because you're right. It makes it, you, you're not clamoring out there for your next gig. You're saying, well, that one looks good. I think I'll pursue that instead of saying I need five gigs this week. Yeah, you're right. I, right. I like that. How did you get into improv? Um, I, I had to speak in front of uh, legislators and other places because of my, my business that I'm in. And I would always get up there and just start sweating and have like out of body experiences where I would just be watching myself and I'd be like, what is he saying down there? (laughs) 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 That's me. I'm watching and I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) So I just, I wanted to get over the stage fright and I was just, I had always had like, like a secret desire to do improv. Like I just thought it'd be fun or stand up comedy or something. So I was like, you know what, let me just throw myself into that for a couple of different reasons. You know, I'll use the excuse that I want to get better at public speaking, but secretly I really wanted to do it too. So that, that was why I got into that. And that's, that's a huge story because you, you chose to go do the scary thing. And that, that speaks volumes because a lot of people say, I don't do improv. No, I can't. Well, improv's not on a stage with a spotlight. Improv is to think what is the next best thought to think what, how can I support that person? And that's what I teach in business coaching is, the, um, what is the next thing? If I didn't know, I would say this or to active listen and build on what that person says, because you, you can make your, your partner, your business, your child, whoever feel more heard by asking a follow-up question instead of waiting to speak, it's making them feel heard. So you're going to repeat what they said or ask, so when you took that class, what was your first class? I can easily ask you that. And I am curious about that, but it's also a way to say that I heard you. Uh, the active listening part, I, that's, it's a, it, improv like trains you on that. It is such a big part of improv and it's so surprisingly difficult when you first start doing improv because all you're doing is thinking about what you're going to say next. And that's so not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> well, and you have to peel away that that crusty layer of being judged. And as soon as you can realize that, yeah, there's, let's just pretend there's 40, uh, 40 pairs of eyes looking at you because you might be at a party and you're, you're doing a scene. As soon as you pretend you're not Michael, but you're Steve from accounting, 
you're not you. So you can say whatever Steve's going to say. And you build that confidence because it's not Michael talking. It's Steve. You can do that. You don't have to be on a stage to be able to do that. You can do that when you're talking to your boss. Right. Um, I, I have a persona named Bev. She's my agent. And oh, Bev is so irritating because unfortunately she smokes. <laughs> and then Bev tries to get me work. The sound of her on the phone is not that great. But let me tell you, she's connected. So this is an index card. I don't know. <laughs> so that Kids out you there. can make a persona. If you're scared, then mm. make a persona. Yeah. And as crazy as that sounds, I dare you to try it. Anybody listening, because it's, it, that's what improv teaches us. And every day is one of your days. And what, how are you leaving this day? Are you leaving it scared and with a to-do list? Or are you saying, okay, I could check off three things today. I'm a beast. Yeah. You know, you got to do the things because we're spinning on this rock for a limited time. Whatever you think is happening afterward, that great for you, whatever you might think. But what are you doing while you're right here? What's your legacy? Is it that she was too afraid to try improv? She was too afraid to go for that new job, to write that book, to sing that song or to dance in the cereal aisle? Who cares? Do the thing. Yeah. Do you ever answer the phone as Beth? Do you ever just... Bev does get a hold of my phone sometimes and it's yeah. it's off-putting because she really should get her own phone, but she always says, I, I don't like the little hand computer things. I, I don't like the smartphone. I like my flip phone, but then she'll never charge it. <laughs> really annoying. So they you end know, up calling my phone. Yes. I know people like that. It's, it's, Do you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I always tell people, don't be afraid not to do improv because you don't think you're going to be good. Like people are all different levels of improv and it does not matter. It's all about having fun. And then once you find a group of people, you can do it with like a troop. Like it really doesn't matter. Like you're just so supportive of each other. It's such a supportive group yes. of people. It's insane. Well, improv friend. is not just comedy. Uh, I'm working on a video thing. I'm not even clear what I'm doing, honestly, but it's going to be a comedy and it's an office that fell apart. And now they're renting out a restaurant. So I think it's going to be kind of farcy and we're going to record it and launch it in that. I don't understand my character yet. And so I was talking to the guy who's hired me and I just said, I need more backstory. And I think, you know, in an improv scene, you'd know that Michael's coming out. He's going to be James, the mail carrier, and he is allergic to dogs and dogs love him. And, you know, so now you've got your backstory. We know before we step out on the stage. Now I'm taking this video project. And he told me my character is an older uh, lady in the office. Okay. Well, that's too close to real life. I got to figure that out. But my point is there was no backstory. That was it. So I don't know how I interact with these younger characters or why we're in a restaurant. I didn't know that. So I called him. I was like, can we talk through this a little bit? And so now tonight when we meet, um, because I offered this using improv, our characters are going to interact, but not off script, not on the script. We're going to be off script. And so pretending it's you, Michael, and you're the, the guy who's running the energy drink company. And I'm the office person running the accounting. We're going to create a conversation that has, you know, I might start with asking you what's a movie you've seen lately. And I'm going to learn more about you as your character. Right. And that's not necessarily funny, but mm -hmm. it is improv because we're staying in character and we're doing the yes and building with thought forward. Right. Right. Really developing the characters that way is what you're, what you're yes, trying to do. And the thing about improv is you want to make your scene partner look good. Mm -hmm. And if that's not your goal, you would not be in my troop, but uh, if I said no to you, when you say, well, now you've got a, a red hat on. And if I say, no, I don't, boom, we just slam that scene down. 
and that's called a roadblock. So if I say, yeah, I have a red hat, but isn't your pink tutu funny? I just threw it back to you, but now you're in a ridiculous thing, but you, now you're going to explain it. Yeah, you That's them. the way we should be with our partners, mm-hmm. with our coworkers to make them look good and feel good. It's very true. It's such a, it's, there's, you cannot be selfish and be an improv artist. Like it's not, it doesn't, it's not about the one liners. It's, it's, it's about helping everyone else, setting everyone else up, giving gifts, giving as many gifts as you can, essentially. Yeah. Yes. And coming to a conclusion so that the audience applauds. Well, there's that at home coming to a conclusion that you agree that, you know, we'll take turns doing dishes or whatever the problem is, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about conversation, active listening and letting your scene partner or person feel good about the conversation. Don't put them down. That really doesn't work because then they got to do it back to you. Oh no. I hate when they even negativity is you can do negative, but it's hard. It's, it's really hard to do. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's not the way I was trained. I no. was trained on stage. We don't cross our arms. So you don't. You you cannot stand there crossing your arms. Okay. Uh, you cannot put your hands in your pockets. That's oh. the way I was trained twenty some years ago. Oh wow, makes a lot of sense. It does. You really you really, you feel the way you the way you're holding yourself. That's how you, it really affects your feelings. And yep, and look at politicians. Mm-hmm. You are not going to see them standing there crossing their arms, and you can bet that they are told constantly, "Get your hands out of your pockets. Oh, open wow. up. Open your body." There's a whole lot on that too. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> do you ever do you do any stand up comedy or? I have. Yes. Yes. I love to tell the story about when I went to the OB for my yearly and and put a tattoo down there just to shock my doc. And he didn't see it. He didn't see a dinosaur down there. So, yeah, I tell that story. <laughs> uh, that's one of them or just how obsessive I am with vacuuming the straight lines and the carpet and just crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's usually self-deprecating or about my pranks. And I love to talk about my pranks, the failed <laughs> ones, the great ones, all of it. <laughs> my a good friend of mine, when I was younger, her, her, her mother would leave the lines in the carpet. And every time I was over there, I'd go smear them. And then <laughs> one of the officers I work with just showed me he had been in Florida in this house, pristine house, or it might've been their cabin, but to me, it would have been a, a mansion. And the, the lady is so obsessed about her yard. She makes me look chill because the sun was out. The sun, the boy sun, not the sun in the sky, was using the leaf blower to blow the grass. And I don't know if it was to get the lawn lines out or if there was actually grass, but who blows their grass? It's so just... funny to me. <laughs> it's so funny. And it made me look like I'm relaxed, even though my yard is actually kind of, kind of perfect. <laughs> You might've just wanted to get out of the house. You need to avoid somebody. So I'm just going to go. Yeah. I was just super proud of myself for not thinking I should also do that. I was very proud of myself. I said, see, I'm not that bad. (laughs) There's always somebody better or somebody worse, right? Everything we did, everything we did. Exactly. Strive to be or not be that person. (laughs) That was Shakespearean, wasn't it? It was, it was. uh, (laughs) Really stepped up the podcast here. Woohoo. Yeah, right. (laughs) New hashtag. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so you spoke at TEDx. What was what was that experience like, and what you what you speak? About? <laughs> I have to laugh because this has been the silliest. I was going to say stupidest because I use that as good. It was stupid because I the opportunity was amazing. I've been turned down many times. Was accepted in April. It was going to be on Zoom and we all got together. All the speakers got together weekly and went through it and went through it. And finally, one speaker said, why can't we get in, uh, do this in person? And 
it was in Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana, and I'm in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And we made it happen. We did it in person. It had to be very limited. It was a very sparse audience seated separately with masks. And we were um, to meet in person after, after being on zoom week after week was a, like meeting a star hugging those people for real was just incredible as incredible as the talk itself. And who would have ever thought that that would be a thing, but we did get to perform on the stage and I gave my talk about from, you know, the trauma. And so it was seeking humor, finding bravery and discovering bravery along the way. And I talk about my serious selfies with strangers. So that was done. All TEDx's are done by um, volunteers. And so you have no control about when it is going to be produced or shown or published. And there, it is a whole process for that. So when, once it was done and the trip went well, and my husband was with, and he did all the photos, everything's volunteer, like I say, and there was another photographer, very lucky. Meanwhile, like I said, I got some no's in between you. You cannot give your same TEDx. So now I have a new topic and it was about pranks and my passion for pranks. And the takeaway from that is what is your passion? And are you connecting people and connecting with people through your passion? Whether it be painting with your feet, maybe it's weaving dandelions, whatever it is, if that's your passion, how are you connecting with others that are like that? That was that. That one was totally Zoom. But there's so many no's in between the two. I drove three hours each way and mm -hmm. that was a no. So I'm not just like this person got so lucky. The reason I tell you this way is that one was over Zoom. And luckily I'm married to a videographer who could do a three camera setup and edit. Yes. I'm so, so, so blessed. They both were released two days from each other. Okay. One was recorded in August. One was recorded in April. And by chance, they both went through the process and were released two days apart. Now, why? How weird. <laughs> Usually you would say, great. I have one in the spring and I've got one in the fall yeah. and. Hey, I'm so lucky I got two. But yeah, your Facebook but again, friends, your Facebook friends aren't going to click both if they're that close. I mean, you've already wasted 30 minutes of their time for one. You can't. <laughs> yeah, well, there's it. It's it's a process that I think if anybody is has a message worth spreading, mm -hmm. an idea worth sharing, check into TEDx. I'm happy to to meet to talk about my process. If anybody's interested, I do train speakers if they're interested in that. Okay. But I even just talk as a buddy. I'll, we, we can meet up because you, if you just go out and try it, you might miss a few things that are really crucial. But really, you know, you think, but I'm not a speaker. They don't want speakers. They want someone with an idea. Well, you glossed over your first TEDx was uh, you had glossed over serious pictures with strangers. What was that? Serious selfies with strangers is something that started by accident. And it was just me daring myself. As I mentioned, one of my favorite things is to do the things that make you sweat in the weird places. And one of my mantras is dare yourself daily. Dare yourself daily could be jump from a bungee. It could be cross the street. It could be speak to that stranger. It could be, I'm going to learn to fly. It doesn't matter. What is a dare? It, it, there's no there's no 100% definition of that, but how can you dare yourself? And um, so I was seeing these girls that had just come out of an ice cream store and they were thrilled. They were young, they were cute. They had the ice cream. Their life was going really well. And I thought I'm gonna get a picture with them because they are so adorable. And so I dared myself to walk over and ask these strangers if I could get a photo. 
Mm-hmm. They said, are you an influencer? And I thought, I'll have to look that up. I don't really know what that means. And so I asked them to get a picture. But right before I took the pic, I set my camera for three seconds. And I had the idea to say, don't smile. Because I thought that was silly. And I, I love to flip things upside down. Mm-hmm. And then the girl, girl said, you mean be serious? And I go, yeah. And so we did. It was my first serious selfies with strangers. And they were having ice cream and we all look like we're upset about losing our dog or something. <laughs> Miserable. <laughs> you laugh so hard beforehand. You laugh even harder afterwards when you're looking at the photo because mm. to try and be serious makes you laugh. So yeah. again, it's, it's the opposed, it's the, the opposite ideas. And that became a hashtag for me, serious selfies with strangers. But the cooler part is, and, and I have a whole section in my book, but the cooler part and my Facebook page. The neater part is the actual friendships I made from it. I, I just have so many stories about that and I, I won't go into a bunch, but I will say those girls are now my friends. Oh, that's so nice. Because when my book came out, one of the moms knew me from my comedy show and we all got together and had coffee. We went resale shopping. We were singing ABBA songs and we lied and said we were in a musical when somebody said, <laughs> oh, are you guys in a show? Yeah, we're in ABBA the musical. It's, you know, we're singing Dancing Queen all because. I crossed the street and asked. So nice. So nice. Uh, crossing paths with people you never would have crossed paths with and making new friends. That's awesome. Um, I have to ask what one of your best pranks was. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, never prank a cop. kind of already knew that one (laughs) no i i still actually do we do scare each other one of my favorites at work right now especially with um everyone afraid of germs as we all should be and should have been all along as i have been which is not healthy (laughs) to be so afraid of germs but i have a water bottle and i'll come up if somebody's got their back turned and they're talking to somebody else i spray their neck and make the sneezing sound at the same time (gasps) it's you and it's nasty you feel the spray on the back of your neck i mean i'm sorry but no i'm not sorry (laughs) but um one of the pranks that my husband and I did because he's in our in the comedy troupe and improv as well we were in a restaurant and because when we have a show coming up I have flyers I do do you remember the witch on Bugs Bunny witch hazel when she would leave the room the hairpins would be hanging in the air yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's me with posters (laughs) and so um these people at the bar kept looking at us and I'm like, Oh, okay. They recognize us. And I'm enjoying my hamburger. And my husband's like, yeah, she's looking at us again. I was like, well, I don't know, get a poster ready in case they come over. Okay. (laughs) It's kind of sounds funny to me, but that's my life. She goes to the bathroom and I go over to the guy at the bar and I don't know why I did, but this is what I do. And I said, I noticed you guys were looking at us. Do you think you know us or something? Cause we have a show coming up. And he said, well, actually, no, we're looking to see when you're done because we want your table. I think that's funny. That says a lot about my brain. Like, dial it back a notch, Lisa. <laughs> and so that evoked, that's a moment, but that evoked me to say to him, okay, quick, <laughs> this is my brain. Before your wife comes back, let's pretend we know each other. He's immediately in on it. He that's tells nice. me her name is Nancy. His name is Randy. I tell him I'm Lisa. He's Todd. He said, okay, my son is joining us soon with his girlfriend. And I'm like, we'll be done soon. You'll get our table and this will be great. So she comes, so I go back to my table. She comes back to the bar and I look up and I go, 
Randy, Nancy, and he yells, Todd, Lisa, and we get up and Todd's giving the, the good old boy, you know, pat on the back to him. And I hug him. I, I embrace Nancy and she's got this face of terror, like, oh, good to see you. But her face is kind of like, what the hell is going on? And then the son walks in. It was like, great. And I go, look how big you got. He's like an adult son. I go, look at you. Like, oh, wow, Jimmy, you've grown. And the whole thing happened. And, and then we finally told him what was going on. And as we drove away and they had our table, we look up and there they could see us through the window while we were at the red light. And we all burst out laughing. Mm. And that has stayed with me for so long that, you know, they're telling the story too. Yeah, there's The some- best pranks don't hurt someone. The best pranks become that story. There's something so sweet about that. That, that, that is the sweetest story. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you started a company called Comedy Alley. Yes. What is that? And that's our comedy troupe that that's my LLC for my speaking, but it's also for the sketch comedy we were doing. We had um, a radio show for a while. It wasn't really on the radio, but it was like a podcast, but it was a story. And then we also do improv. The improv start part has stayed. So we do improvisation as, as that. And I sunsetted the sketch comedy right before COVID hit because I thought "Eh, two decades, that's good enough. If somebody else wants to take it over, I I will let them, but producing the shows and wrangling the people together and doing all that. I was kind of like, ah, I want to focus on just me for a bit and just do the speaking. So I still do speaking. I'm an interactive speaker. I imp- improvise through it, but I won't scare your introverts. That's my promise. I don't go, Hey, red shirt, get on up here. Let's do a thing. I would be horrified because not all days am I into it either. So there's different ways to do that. And I love to do that. Um, so that's what comedy alley is, is it's kind of the encompassing things that I'll do. I also do embarrassograms. I was invited to a party before to be their entertainment. And that was at a realty company. And the one lady knew me and invited me to come in. And she said, entertain. I want you to be just a new realtor and just be wacky as you want. I'm like, oh, I'm in. And I was getting paid. So I, I just, you know, the people were kind and inviting me in and, oh, you're a realtor. Yep. Yeah. Well, soon. I'm, I mean, I'm like, I'm like new. I mean, I used to sell makeup and uh, I mean, if you know a color palette, you can definitely sell a house. So I know cock from concealer. So yeah, I was irritating. I was so offensive to them. And that's a lot of cheese on your plate. You know, you can just do these things. It's just, and they're so kind because what are they going to do? They're at their boss's house. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) At the end was the reveal. So that's the kind of things that anybody can do. Anybody can do it. Oh, that's so much, so much fun. You have so much fun. (laughs) Getting paid to be irritating. Count me in. (laughs) I'm going to follow you around for a week. Learn, learn your <laughs> that, There's laws against that, but um, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I'll do it without you knowing. I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. Now we all know <laughs> the police song. What is it? Uh, every breath you take. <laughs> uh, and you also host a podcast called Stranger Connections Podcast. Yes. What fun. Um, I love to talk to people that have interesting life stories quirky careers the late so there's the lady who talks to dogs even through zoom she told me things about my dog that were accurate that i didn't tell her anything ahead and my dog's a rescue and she told me some things that really matched up it was very fun and a hand analysis that not a palm reader 
but okay. she would look at um, your writing and just, I don't know, one lady does look at your hand, but it's not palm reader. It's more about um, the structure of your hands. And she told very accurate things about my careers. And then a different lady does hand, uh, handwriting analysis. And that was really incredible. Like if you write and it goes up, there's something to that. If you have tight E's or, you know, I know you probably cross, you know, like you dot your eyes with a little heart, probably, Michael. Oh, I mean, that time. talks about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the guy that used to be a monk that quit, you know, I'm asking him stuff like, why'd you start? Why'd you stop? Is there a girl involved? You know, things like that. And uh, there's, there's the man who was straight up uh, heterosexual that fell in love with his caregiver who was male and now they're married. Well, Great story. Great story. Yeah. Just, I love those stories. Yeah. And, I mean, I like all stories, but this is the kind of stuff I'm looking for. So anybody send me your weirdos. If they have a quirky career, they've been through some weirdo life story. One of my recent ones was talking to a lady who was Amish and she jumped the fence. That's what it's called when you leave the, the clan or the group or the family. And okay. so bizarre. And then it turns out we're 45 minutes apart from each other. Oh, well, who to thunk? Yeah. That so that's my, that's my podcast. Yeah. Surprisingly, it sounds like fun. It is <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah. And every guest has to share a dare or prank that they've done or had done to them. Okay. <laughs> Mandatory. <laughs> I love that part because you and I could talk about your, your fabulous printing career, but then you're going to tell me, oh, a prank and you're probably 10 and it had to do with a friend. And that totally tells me more about you and, and your story. Yeah. I love it. I love that part. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the podcast. This was so much fun. Yes, it was. I'm yeah. so glad to meet you and, and Nathaniel, the ninja and all of the background <laughs> stuff. So yeah, I really appreciate you having me on here. Well, thank you. I do have to do the closing, which is this is a Dweebs Global production and Dweebs Global provides free mentorship help. That's why we do the podcast is we want attention for Dweebs Global. They do free mentorship, everything from resume writing to mental health and everything in between completely confidential, completely free, dweebsglobal.org. See y'all next week.